everybody to movie geeks united it is the february blu-ray rundown and this is jamie duvall and i'm here with our trusted blu-ray connoisseur he's he's just how would you describe yourself if you were to give yourself this kind of highfalutin title for what you do your knowledge base what would it be adam gosh that is putting me on the spot here um well, uh, home theater, I don't know, it's not a highfalutin, I was going to say home uh, physical media guru, maybe, I don't know, but that's yeah. not very highfalutin. I, I want something equal to like Sir Adam Long, but something in the Blu-ray realm. Oh, I see where you get that. Mm. Anytime you walk into a room, I remember years ago, <laughs> I was doing, uh, I did a lot of community theater, and I used to win all these, all their year-end best actor award things. And it got to a point where I was like, anytime I walk in a room in here, <laughs> I do, I demand to be addressed as best actor winner, Jamie Duvall, just to, get, to make fun of it. But, so we need to give you a title like that, dude. Uh-huh. Well, it could be uh, the Earl of OBE, which would make me an earlobe. So I don't know. Oh, well, that's what works for me. <laughs> And you're just getting over the flu, so if there's an occasional uh, heaving you hear, Adam's not getting excited. He just, uh, you know, is coming down from the flu. Yes, that's what's going on. It, it was a week ago, so I'm pretty well removed from it. But every now and then you may hear me, uh, you know, with an occasional cough creeping back in. So uh, I'm, I'm probably about 95% there, but every now and then it uh, it. it it finds its way back in. So hopefully that won't be the case, but all right, February, what do we got? It's the month of love. Uh-huh. So, uh, so I've been told. So I'm sure that uh, we have some, probably some romance, some Drew Barrymore on the menu more than likely. Mm. Well, we do have some romance. That's for, for sure. Uh, this is not the kind of typical thing you think of when you think of, uh valentine's day but how about jungle fever <laughs> uh-huh <laughs> this is incredibly romantic yeah all right well if, if tumultuous love is what you're after then uh, is that is that the first week what, yeah it is, is. Or is that? it is yeah, oh, fe wow. february 4th uh actually well, that is a love story of sorts so it fits it is it is yeah uh in more ways than one i guess Tough love story for the parents of uh, Samuel L. Jackson's character, I guess you would say. Oh, God, that subplot is so heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. It really is. Sincerely. God, that scene with Ruby D is just, oh. Yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely has some powerful moments. and uh, But Kino Lorber has 
done some pretty uh, something pretty interesting. They have issued five or are issuing rather on February fourth five titles from the the uh, Spike Lee canon, I guess you would say, from his resume, and they come. I believe they are being in a released in a box set. And also separately, and Jungle Fever is one of them. Of course, Clockers is another. And then we have Summer of Sam, Crooklyn, and Mo Better Blues. So all of those are going to be issued on Blu-ray. Several of those for the first time. I think all of those except for Summer of Sam, which has been previously issued on Blu-ray, but the rest of those are Disney. That's a Disney movie, Summer of Sam. It is, yeah. Well, you know, Kino's got those touchstone and all that. You know, we've talked about that before. They've got the rights to all those, the Hollywood pictures and all that. And they do have a, an agreement with Universal as well. So, well, I can give or take uh, Crooklyn, but uh, the others, the others I unabashedly love. I especially like, um, oh, I remember when Mo Better came out and I was, I loved it. Uh, but I especially love S- Summer of Sam. And uh, I do like, Jungle Fever is contains some of Spike Lee's best stuff, and yet half the movie doesn't work. I for agree. Me. I mean, it doesn't quite come together, but it's mixed in with some of the the most potent stuff he's ever done. Mm-hmm. So it's an odd, odd movie. It really is. It really is. But uh, like you said, some of the stuff that is in there is is really good. When it works, it works. We'll just say that. So, um, but yeah, that's, uh, I'm glad to see these titles being issued, especially the four universal titles that have never been issued before. Uh, uh, I'm with you on Clockers Jungle Fever and, and, um, and the other one we mentioned. Summer of Sam. Summer of Sam. Uh, or, yeah. Summer of Sam, co-written by Michael Imperioli. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, cinematographer by, I believe, Ellen Curris. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a great looking, great edited movie, mm-hmm. great evocative picture of that time period. And, and, um, it was one of the first movies I saw in Los Angeles. It was my first trip to LA and we went to Burbank to see it opening night and, um, people stood up and applauded at the end of it. I was like, man, they do that. They do this here. I guess this really is a movie town. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's uh it's pretty heady stuff to be standing up and applauding well it was, it's a bravura piece of filmmaking i guess so part. yeah yeah that's what it is yeah i saw it uh and i hate to say it i don't think i've seen it since its original release i saw it the summer it came out and i have not returned to it since it was one of those movies i enjoyed and meant to return to it but uh, you know you, sometimes you're kind of worried that you're not going to have that same experience when you return to something and i've been kind of leery but uh, I probably need to get back in there and and revisit it because it's way overdue for me. So yeah, yeah. But Boys in the Hood is being issued on 4K. It's been previously issued on Blue, of course, but never on 4K that I'm aware of until now. And of course, we lost that director last year, John Singleton. I was uh, quite quite. Uh, it's still hard to believe that he's gone. The other night, uh, Rosewood turned up. I had not seen that, I don't think, since its theatrical run in 98. And uh, oh. I had, uh, it's just, it's, it's you know, you think about the film scores that John Williams has done, and that's one of his film scores that people tend to forget he did. 
and you know, there are just a few things in, in John Williams catalog. And I, I was marveling that he, that he did the score for Rosewood. You just don't think of John Singleton and John Williams collaborating, you know, it's just not something that you think about. And it's like, yeah, he did. And there's, mm. there's a couple of other scores on his resume that, uh, that, that do turn up and, uh, like heart beeps, the only, uh, theatrical film that Andy Kaufman, uh, had a lead role in, uh, he John, did John Williams composed that. Yes, he did. And, uh, it's a, it's a good, it's a good score. Now, now the film is whether well, it's, um, I don't know. Uh, it wasn't very well reviewed, and I haven't seen it in decades. But uh, yeah, but it's a. I know it's a good score because I do have the score for it. And uh, so yeah, that's one of those. And Monsignor is another John Williams that I think about that people forget about. That's the one where Christopher Reeve is the is the priest who's got all those terrible vices. He gambles, and I don't know what all he does. He just it's, it's uh and it's directed by Frank Perry the year after. Mommy Dearest. So, and, and a lot of people were saying it's his second cult classic in a row. <laughs> but that's a great score, man. Uh, Monsignor. It's another John Williams score that people forget about. It's like, yeah, there's some oh, yeah. good stuff there. So, interesting. I always liked his non bombast scores. Yeah, me too. Uh, I'm a sucker for piano scores. So, I always love the Accidental Tourist. And- oh, God. Yeah, that's great. Um, the Paper Chase is another of his non-bombast scores, the one from 73. I, uh, that's a piano score, too, and I uh, I love that. It's, it's terrific. So, yeah, interesting uh, guy. So, anyway, I didn't mean to. Uh, is he the most nominated? I or, think, is Walt Dis- or is Walt Disney still the most nominated? Hmm. That's a good question. I can't there say with go. any degree of certainty on that. But, uh, yeah, it, interesting that he's uh, – Keeps on keeping on. Well, we'll move from the Spike Lee films to our. Oh, hang on, I, 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 I'll tell you. Hang yeah. on. Okay. Yeah. Uh, jo- okay. Not uh, fifty-two Oscar nominations as of this year for John Williams with the Rise of Skywalker. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. And uh, only the late Walt Disney had more, at fifty-nine. Mm. Isn't that incredible? As composer John Williams. 52 Oscar nominations. It really is. Yeah. And then you think of, think of our greatest actors and how many nominations they, well, think of our best directors. William Wyler, I think got 12. Mm-hmm. And then John Williams has 52. Wow. <laughs> you know, that's the batting average in terms of Oscars. That's a, uh, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, that there really- was a there was a person on Facebook. I always regret when I make comments on other people's posts, mm-hmm. correcting them, because Netflix had something that said Martin Martin Scorsese has the uh, let's see Martin Scorsese has the most nominations of any living director. No, though they didn't say that, uh, they said it a different way. They said it they they said it in a way in the Netflix post that. Uh, Martin Scorsese got the most nominations ever for a living director. That's how they said it. And I said, well, that's not true. I said, he's got nine nominations. William Wyler had 12 nominations and he got all of them when he was living. Mm. So, 
the way you wrote that is incorrect. You should say the most nominated director currently living is Martin Scorsese. That's the right way of saying it. And so I made that That's comment, true. and then some then somebody called me a fucking idiot. <laughs> I was like, I'm not an idiot. Read read how they wrote this, man. It's like you should be ashamed of yourself for calling somebody an idiot that you don't even know. Exactly. <clears throat> Especially when there's merit to what they have to say. Absolutely. Yeah, wow. I know what they were. Tr- I know what Netflix was trying to say. They just didn't write it like that. And Netflix needs. You know, they're a big corporation. It would help if they had a copywriter that understood that stuff. Mm-hmm. Or who gave a shit. <laughs> Put it that way. That would help. To be a little bit more blunt. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. So the 1985, uh, it's one of those teen comedies that were they were pumping out at Mm, large numbers back in those days. Fraternity Vacation from 1985. That's a Scorpion releasing distributed by Kino. That's another Kino there. So they keep, uh, I wonder how many of these have not been issued because it seems like every other time we turn around, they're putting another one of those out. But man, I get I, all those titles just kind of run together for me. It's uh I don't know, resort, summer resort vacation and fraternity vacation, all that's, I can't keep all that stuff straight. But um, anyway, The Breakfast Club is being issued for the umpteenth time as a still book, this time from Universal. Uh, Gosh, I don't know how many times The Breakfast Club has been issued. I know Criterion put it out, and now Universal's dipping back into it again, but yeah, if you have to have the steelbook, well, just want to let people know that it is being issued as a steelbook. And the 1966 film, this is another Kino release, the Oscar from 1966, which is one of those so bad it's good kind of films. Oh, yeah. This is the one with uh, Stephen Boyd where he's a backstabbing actor who does anything in his power to... He'll stop at nothing to get the Best Actor Oscar. And I guess it's being issued uh, in the month of February to tie into the Oscars. But, yeah, this is this is one of those films you uh, you can't take it seriously. I mean, that's for sure. And it has an interesting cast in it. It's, uh, like I said, Stephen Boyd. And then you also got Tony Bennett, Milton Berle, Elkie Summer, Ernest Borgnine, and Jill St. John. So, uh, and one of the writers credited on this film is Harlan Ellison. Yes, I'm talking about Harlan Ellison, mm-hmm. the, uh, the sci-fi writer. So, mm. anyway, the Oscar. I used to have a 16 millimeter print of this film, believe it or not, before it was available commercially on video, and because uh, wow. uh, I got it really. But yeah, back in the day, I used to have a projector, a 16 millimeter projector, and I would go to these um, these film conventions and where they were having estate sales, people who had collected these films mm-hmm. and they'd be selling them for $20 a print or something like that. And you could get a, uh, however much you could get that you had room to take home with you. That was the only problem with space limitations because those things took up so much space. But yeah, I had the Oscar at one point on a 16 millimeter print and it was, uh, I think I remember showing it to a group of friends who all laughed at it. Um, inappropriately of course but how did uh, you get rid of it i think i um i sold it on ebay i believe um yeah once uh, it became commercially available i just uh 
there's still a demand on eBay for those sorts of things, and you can sell 16 millimeter. Now, I know they don't allow, their policy doesn't allow to sell 13, 35 millimeter anymore, but uh, you can sell 16 millimeter films. It's, uh, it is allowed. Hmm. So, yeah. You know, some of those, uh, some of those prints, uh, did quite well that I had picked up over the years. I had a, a print of cool hand Luke at 1.2, uh, which at this point it had never been issued in widescreen. It was filmed in Panavision and it had never been issued commercially in widescreen. So this was the only way to see it in its correct aspect ratio. And then once it came out on DVD, they rectified that. So, uh, so I was able to get, sell that one as well. But, um, yeah, it's, it's funny how those, uh, this was uh there were there were times when you know a lot of these guys had been collecting since the 40s and 50s you know and they started dying out and their families didn't know what to do with these prints so I would uh I I subscribed to a magazine that would um alert me to these sales and if they were fairly close within driving distance I would go so, yeah I've seen those magazines before and they would have like classifieds in the back yeah mm-hmm. pr- prints of things and yeah yeah. Yeah, I had some I had some real curios back in the day. I had Walking Tall, the nineteen seventy three Walking Tall. I had Billy Jack goes uh uh let's see, was it it's oh not Billy Jack, but it was the one after the nineteen seventy four trial the, tri- the trial of Billy Jack. I'm sorry, trial of yeah, yeah, yeah. I had that one, yeah. So uh, yeah. Those were the days. Anyway, well, the 1988 horror film directed by Frank Henenlotter, Brain Damage. This is from the same guy who directed Basket Case. And there are three of those, of course. But uh, this is a cult favorite being issued by Arrow Video. And uh, who directed it? Frank Henenlotter. Okay. Who did the, uh, the Basket Case trio trilogy of films. Yeah, uh, this is one of his, and uh, I remember it being pretty good, actually, of its type. I think it had something to do with uh, their, this wine was contaminated, and these winos were getting a hold of it and turned them into some sort of ravenous creatures of some sort. But, uh, yeah, mm. interesting stuff. But, yeah, pretty pretty good. I'd like to revisit that one, and hopefully we'll get a chance. Evil Ed from 1995. This is one of those I remember seeing on the video shelves. It's another Arrow release that's being uh, issued. And both of these brand-new transfers, new extras, um, all of that. So, those are a couple of Arrow releases that are heading your way on February 4th. And uh, the Lars von Trier film, The House That Jack Built, which is fairly recent, but that's 2018. It's finally coming out on uh, finally coming out on Blu-ray from courtesy of Screen Factory. So for anybody who who is uh, clamoring for that one, the serial killer film with Matt Dillon, yeah, uh, yeah. So we'll move on to February 11th, and this is kind of interesting. Um, Roma is being issued by Criterion. Uh, and apparently they have licensed an agreement with, uh, signed an agreement with uh, Netflix and they will be doing the physical releases in, in the coming months of all of these high profile Netflix films. So they will be getting physical disc releases. Uh, I just found out about that, that they will be issuing the Irishman 
in the next couple of months, as well as a marriage story in the two popes. Yeah. So, uh, and I was a little concerned about that because, you know, the thing is, yeah, these movies are available now, but without a physical copy and they decided to pull it down from the service at some point in the future, um, there wouldn't be any way to, to have access to it, you know, unless you had a digital download or something. And so, uh, I'm so glad that the criterion has, had the foresight to see the importance of releasing these films. So yeah, Roma is the first of these and it is coming um, February 11th and it's new extras and uh, director approved transfer, of course, from Alfonso Cuaron. And uh, so, you know, there you have it. Uh, My Bloody Valentine from 1981. Bloody Valentine. (laughs) <laughs> man what a, what a romantic song oh yeah sweet bloody valentine <laughs> yeah um that reminds me it's funny you say that you're singing that because it reminds me of uh you remember back when uh frank sinatra was having some dementia si- early signs of dementia and they uh, so they had like a fake commercial. I think it was on Howard Stern and they had all these, uh, they said, Frank Sinatra sings the hits. And one of them that he started singing was, uh, my front, my funny turpentine. <laughs> <laughs> it just reminds me of that. Oh gosh. You remember, you remember when we were in LA and I was playing that Paul Anka album, right? Oh yeah. In yeah. The car yeah. of Paul Anka singing the songs of Nirvana and Van Halen and, that's a great album. Oh yeah. I, I really love that album. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. I'd forgotten about that, but yeah, that is, that is funny. Well, my bloody Valentine. It's interesting though, because this was issued, I think by image had put it out on Blu-ray a while back. No, no, no. I'm sorry. That was a Lionsgate, but it went out of print fairly quickly and it was fetching prices anywhere from 60 to a hundred dollars on eBay because it had the director's cut on it, which had, uh, or the unrated version rather, which had about five extra minutes of extra gory footage incorporated into the film. Although the quality definitely dropped. I, I did get a chance to see it and the quality dropped considerably when they, when the deleted stuff came up, it was obviously from a work print or something, but apparently they have found, uh, a pristine print of the uncut version and it is being issued on a separate disc on this new screen factory release of my bloody valentine you get the uncut version and then you get the theatrical version and it's a brand new restoration of both cuts of the film so and we're talking about the original yeah the 1981 yes okay okay yeah by the way one of the great experiences i've ever had going to the movies i mean not moving life-changing but just pure fun was watching that remake opening night with a crowded with a sold out theater oh really and uh it was so noisy in there Mm -hmm. that i you could feel the freedom to stand up and start screaming at the screen and stuff so that's literally the only time i've ever done that at, at the theater because it's not proper protocol usually but everybody else was doing it so i got into it and it it was a great fun showing of that film nice very good yeah sometimes being with the right crowd can just make all the difference in the world yeah so yeah it it sure can 
So um, anyway, we'll move right along. February 11th again, uh, and we got a couple of Kino releases here. We got Transylvania 65,000. Jesus. Yeah, how about that with Jeff Goldblum? Probably. Now, does this have a does this have a following? I think it does to some degree. Um, I mean, you know, uh, I, I've I, I mean I've never seen it, so I just always oh, never watched. No, it. I, it's reputation always. I always heard it was terrible. How about vibes? Have you seen vibes? Actually, that's the next title on the list, and I kid you not. Are you kidding me? No. I am kidding you not. That was the- is that is that how they pay tribute to Jeff Goldblum? They released Transylvania six five thousand and vibes. Well, I think it's uh, just coincidental because Transylvania six five thousand is being issued by Kino, whereas Vibes is being issued by Mill Creek Entertainment. Just wow. coincidentally, but yeah, Vibes, No Mercy, the Kim Basinger Richard Gere film, and Hudson Hawk, all three are being issued by Mill Creek. And they can be had for less than $10 each, I think. But, mm. yeah. But that is so funny because you, when you said vibes, I said, uh, oh, that's the next title on the list. Yeah. It's Cindy, Cindy Lauper and Jeff Goldblum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> how, how could you go wrong? Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? And Peter Falk, is Peter Falk in that, too? I can't, can't remember. Gosh. Uh, it's been so long. Uh, maybe I'm thinking of something else. Uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. No mercy, no mercy. Yeah, okay. I forget who directed that. Yeah, I don't remember either. Uh, like I said, we're talking thirty some years. But the, uh, I mean, it's you know, the, I, all I remember about that movie is Gear and Basinger running through the forest, and of course it's sweltering because it takes place somewhere like New Orleans or yeah. Chicago. Yeah, New Orleans. Yeah, it does take place in New Orleans. And so, you know, her shirt's like sticking to her and, you know, by design, obviously. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that's all I remember about that movie. Richard Pierce directed that. That's correct. Also starring Jerome Crabbe. Whatever happened to that guy? Jerome Crabbe. I don't yeah. even know who that is. Yeah, he's the guy who played the, uh, he played, he's, he's a villain in uh, The Living Daylights, the James Bond film. And he's also the villain in The Fugitive, the, uh, the Harrison Ford He's the one who actually oh. did the killing. Oh. Okay. Yeah. He used to turn up in a ton of stuff around that time, and then he just kind of fell off yeah. the map. Oh, he's in Prince of Tides. Forgot about that. He plays, yeah. uh, plays her husband. That's exactly her husband. right. Yeah. He looks like a Jerome Crabbe. I mean, the name. <laughs> yeah. But he would turn up in stuff all the time. I mean, he's one of these faces, you know, and then suddenly you just don't see him anymore. Hmm. So still around, I as far as I know. So oh yeah, it's it's um this is funny that you uh, we we were talking about uh, callbacks and here's another callback that I had um I had forgotten about. It is also being issued Heartbeeps from 1981. We just talked about it with John Williams really? doing the score. Yeah, that's a Kino release. Huh. So uh, well, you'll like that one because you talk about that movie often. It's a curio. Yeah, it's uh, well, it has a great cast in it. You know, it's it's like I said, it's and it's Andy Kaufman's only starring role as a as a theatrical film, and the makeup in that film is fantastic. I have to admit because it's you know obviously about robots and all the cast is they're all made up to look like robots, and they do. It's it's I think it's Stan Winston did the makeups, 
And like I said, it has that great John Williams score, which is uh, one of his lesser known. And so there's a lot to embrace about it. It's, um, it's directed by Alan Arkush as well, who, you know, uh, made rock and roll high school, of course. And the, yeah. So Heartbeeps is one of the releases for February 11th from Kino, as is Legal Eagles, directed by Ivan Reitman and starring Robert Redford, Deborah Winger, and Daryl Hannah, directed by Ivan Reitman. And, uh, and of course, it spawned a top 40 single, top 10 single, uh, Love Touch. Yeah. Rod Stewart. Good song. Yeah. So there you go. Sing, sing a little bit, Adam. Oh, I don't know with this voice of mine. I'm not sure if that's going to happen. I could, uh, probably couldn't hit the notes. Um, one, I gave you my love touch. You loved. That's enough. (laughs) Yeah, definitely enough. Definitely enough. Well, anyway, so the animated film from 1971, and this was, uh, is pretty fondly remembered the point, which features music by Harry Nielsen. It was made for television film, but um, again, it's um, it's an animated film uh, where about a town where everybody has a point, except for the main character who doesn't. Have, one guy doesn't have a point, and he's ostracized and by all the people who do have a point. And like I said, Harry, Harry Nilsson does all the music for the for the uh, for the film. And it's narrated by Ringo Starr. MVD Rewind Collection is doing the honors, releasing this. And it's going to have a a new transfer, tons of new extras. Uh, Speaking of top 40 singles, this movie actually spawned a top 40 single as well. By Harry Nielsen? Yes. Me and my arrow got to number 34 on the pop charts in 71. It was from the point. So... um, yeah. So anyway, the point, like I said, a lot, a lot of uh, fans clamoring for that one. That got a lot of, when that was announced, there was a lot of uh, online discussion. So I think people are. Well, we knew it would pop up at some point. <laughs> yeah. There you go. So we have uh, Mind Games from 1989. Um, this is one that I'm not really familiar with. It's, um, But it's uh, a horror film. For also being released by MVD Rewind, and this, um, yeah, it's it stars Edward Albert, not uh, Eddie Albert, but Edward, which was uh, Eddie Albert, the Green Acres guy. It was his son, and Maxwell Caulfield huh. from better known from Ooh. Grease Two fame, right? So uh, yes, yeah, you always know what kind of career anyway. you've had when. After your name, they say better known for Greece too. <laughs> That's well, always yeah. a great indication mm-hmm. of what what kind of career you've had. Exactly. Well, then we have the 1987 film "The Killing Time" with Kiefer Sutherland. This is a Kino release. So we have that one. It's being issued, um, and "When a Stranger Calls" is being issued for the umpteenth time from. Mill Creek. This one, uh, this time you can get it for less than ten bucks. But um, and how about this one? The belated sequel to the Oscar winner for Best Picture, The Sting, The Sting Two from 1983, which oh. uh, starred Jackie Gleason and Mac Davis and Terry Gar and Carl Malden and Oliver Reed. 
So, you know, it's turned up out on turned up on cable quite a bit. I think it was written by the writer of the original The Sting, but it was uh, did not get good reviews. I just remember that, and like I said, it didn't help matters that it was released ten years after The Sting. I don't really know. Yeah what they were hoping for with that, but I would like to go back and revisit that because it has been so long and to see, you know, if it does have any merits or, or not, but anyway, so yeah, the sting two, and that's a Kino release. Uh, I think there's a new commentary on it. Uh, audio commentary, blood and sand from 1922 is being issued. That's another Kino release. Uh, and then we move on to February 18th. We're moving right along. And Tiarima is being issued from Criterion. This is a Pier Paolo Pasolini film mm. uh, from 1968. And I, I find it, I know it's one of John Waters' favorites of the Pasolini films. And so I saw it mm, probably a decade or so ago based on his uh, touting its virtues. And it is quite an interesting movie. It has Terrence Stamp in it, basically. He he insinuates himself into the life of this family, and he seduces both the mother, uh, um, sorry, he seduces the mother, the father, and the daughter. All three of them. He sexually <laughs> has an affair with all three of them, and then leaves after he's oh, wrecked wow. the family. And what kind of movie? Uh, yeah, it's, it's quite, uh, it's quite out there, but if you are on the wavelength of Pier Pasolini, Pier Paolo Pasolini, you, uh, and this is, uh, the same Pasolini, of course, who gave us Salo, the infamous Salo. So, Tiarima is being issued with a new transfer. Uh, the previous transfer has been pretty lackluster, so I'm glad that Criterion's issuing it in a, with a new, uh, New batch of extras, extras and new transfer. Uh, Tex Avery, Screwball Classics, the uh, the classic animation, um, the classic animator uh, Tex Avery, who gave us so many great animated shorts in the 40s and 50s. There, uh, Warner Archive is being is issuing his first, the first collection of the Tex Avery cartoons. And these are supposedly going to be followed by more. Uh, these, uh, some of these that are included will be uh, the droopy cartoons. There'll be uh, quite a, uh, a healthy heaping of those on, in there. But it's a two-disc set, I believe. But anyway, like I said, Tex Avery Screwball Classics, Volume 1, 1943-1951. Um, the 1973 film, Day of the Dolphin, mm. which is... Uh, George C. Scott is the, uh, <laughs> the star of this one. I believe this is Mike Nichols, I believe, directed Dead the Dolphin and written by someone we just lost last month or this month earlier, I should say, uh, Buck Henry. Uh, um, I do think that this was the film that Roman Polanski was. That's right. I was just about to ask you that question, dude, of the little Manson trivia. Aha, uh-huh, that it's is what he, what he was uh, working on. And, uh, London when Tate was killed. That is correct. Yeah, it uh, it's considered a flawed film. I have not seen it. I, I I don't know that it's a terrible film, but I've just always heard that it's it has some interesting ideas, but doesn't quite get what it needs to get done effectively. Um, Man, uh, for the first time, I watched um, The Swimmer the other night. Okay, I, well, what did you think? Never seen it before. It was quite uh, quite an interesting movie. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there were some some places where I was like, "Well, this doesn't make any sense." Yeah, but, uh, but uh, you know, I thought it was a very different movie. And what a brave role for Burt Lancaster! I mean, he's in his swimming trunks at the time, mm-hmm. uh, all, all the way through the movie. Um, you know, and today, if you did that, and there are several scenes with children. I don't think you'd get away with it. Oh but yeah. The the um uh but uh I, then I read more about it and uh, Frank Perry was apparently like fired from it after the first cut was uh submitted and then Lancaster brought in Sidney Pollock cuz he liked him to mm-hmm. to shoot some extra stuff and kind of re rejigger the the movie. Mhm. I think you're right. Yeah. And there's all kinds of theories about that film um you know it's funny because when Gilbert uh, Gottfried was on the uh, Turner Classic Movies. You know they had him as a guest host, and that was one of the films he chose, which is always uh, I thought that was funny. That was one of his favorites, that and Freaks. But mm. you know, there's a theory about that movie that the Burt Lancaster character is actually a ghost. Yeah. He doesn't really exist, and I think that's an interesting way to read into it uh, when you watch it and think about it from that perspective. And when uh, I say there are children involved, it's just that. He, he's, I mean, those were swimming trunks. I mean, they're swimming trunks for a man. I, I mean, but they're more like they're, they're cut up, up the thigh. So they're not like shorts swimming right. trunks. So he's essentially wearing underwear and he's going into people's backyards where there are lots of children <laughs> and he's yes. swimming from pool to pool. That's what I think would be judged as inappropriate. Now, I mean, this was a period of time too, underwear notwithstanding. That uh, I'm sure that y- you could go over to your neighbor's house and everything was, was walking to their backyard, use their pool. Maybe there wasn't that level of suspicion, but man, you do that now, you would be shot. Like the movie would literally be three minutes long because someone would shoot him <laughs> the yes. second he broke into their backyard and jumped in their pool. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that, that, I don't think, like you said, times have changed so much. I don't know that you could get away with that, but um, but nevertheless, it's 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 a pretty compelling movie. And the uh, I have the Blu-ray, which has a fantastic two-hour documentary about the trouble production uh, that's yeah. as long as the film. So it's uh, it's if if you, I'm not sure if it's still in print or not, but if it is, and anybody uh, is a fan of the movie, I wanted to, I would like to vouch for that because it's well worth having. Uh, yeah, yeah we interesting, in, interesting, flawed, demented, kind of psychologically disturbed lead character. So it was very good for Burt Lancaster to to do that role. Oh yeah, and it also features a terrific score. We're talking about scores by Marvin Hamlish. I think that was his first film score. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a very, very good score. Very powerful. Very moving. Um, I think it works very well in tandem. With the uh, film. So, anyway, Rasputin the Mad Monk from 1966 is a Screen Factory release. It's not so, Rasputin, it's Rasputin. 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 Oh. Yeah, you're right. Rasputin. And uh, so, yeah, that's a, that's a hammer release. I do believe it's one of those hammer. We're always talking about how they always run together. And uh, that's another mm. one. Uh, along with X, the Unknown is another one. Uh, this is 1956. This one is, but um, yeah, there's a couple of Screen Factory releases that are coming on February the. I think I said the uh, the 18th. 
I believe it is. Yeah. So, um, uh, anyway, so then we'll carry on with um, other titles that are coming up that month. We also have Deadly Manor from 1990. This is another Arrow video release. That one's being issued. Yeah, and Light at the Edge of the World. That's a uh, another Kino release from 1971. Beyond Therapy from 1987. Beyond it's, Therapy. Uh, yeah. Oh, this, that's uh, Christopher Christopher Durang uh, play that Robert Altman adapted into a movie with Jeff Goldblum. What is this correct. Jeff Goldblum month? Uh, it could be. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, it's Julie Haggerty and uh, Glenda Jackson and Jeff Goldblum and Christopher Guest. Yeah, and I've read the mm -hmm. play too because I st studied it and when I used to do theater. And uh, the, the Jeff Goldblum character, there's a term for it, but he just breaks into tears uh, just uh, uh, on the fly. Um, he's got this disorder that makes him break down in tears. And um, Jeff Goldblum kind of cheated in the movie. He just he, he faked tears. You saw him put like visine in his eyes and pretend like he was crying as if that oh, was some wow. kind of disorder yeah this is a bit of a cheat mm -hmm. that was made at the the low point in altman's career when he couldn't couldn't hardly get arrested before he had his big comeback so yeah yeah well the man who was sherlock holmes that's a kino release couple other kinos here. Um, the Criminal from 1960, starring Stanley Baker. And Accident from 1967. And we have High School High. How about that with John Lovitz? This is being oh. issued by Sony. Uh, one of their on-demand titles where you, uh, you know, you um, pay for it and they press it right there and Here's a Jeff Goldblum movie that, since it's Jeff Goldblum month, okay. why don't they re redo this? In the 90s, I can't remember exactly what year, and I might be wrong about the title of the movie, but he did a thriller that was relatively well-received, I think, called Hideaway? Or was it Hideaway? I think hmm. he dies, has a bad car accident or something at the beginning, and I remember uh, some critics actually said, oh, no, this is pretty good. Hideaway. Hmm. Yeah, 1995, Jeff Goldblum, based on a novel by Dean Kuntz, Alicia Silverstone, Christine Lottie, Ray Don Chong, Alfred Molina. Uh, they're mm -hmm. enjoying a pleasant drive when a car crash leaves the wife and daughter unharmed but kills Goldblum. However, an ingenious doctor manages to revive him, but he comes back changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I vaguely remember that. It's funny you mentioned that because I had uh, that's one that I had totally blocked out of my mind. And now that you mention it, yeah, it's uh, yeah, I remember. I, I do remember that. I, I didn't see. You know, I can't find can't find it anywhere. I'm sure you could probably buy it on an old DVD or something. But uh, uh, here's an here's another one that is not available anywhere. Uh, Ruby. That um, Danny Aiello, Ruby. Oh, Can't yeah. Find it 
where he plays Jack Ruby. Yeah, that's that's true. And I'm surprised. I would suspect that that's probably going to be issued at some point by Kino because that's one of those Hollywood pictures uh, releases or touched on. It's one of those. I know Disney financed it. I know that. So yeah. So I would. I you know they've been they've been putting out all of um, all of those titles from that period and i'm surprised they haven't gotten to it yet so i i would not be surprised to see that at some point the man who shot the man who shot jfk i remember i remember that poster just that in big letters oh yeah i actually went to the theater to see that uh i had to seek it out it was hard to find i mean it wasn't like uh it wasn't splashed in in every theater I mean, you couldn't just walk to uh, any theater, you, the, the quickest theater you could get to, to find it. You had to kind of make yeah. a little effort. It was uh, especially not the Texas theater. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you had to you had to sneak in through the back, uh, the back loading dock to uh, get into <laughs> to get a shot at seeing it. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Yeah. So we have a. Uh, Pet Cemetery 2 is coming out oh. February 25th from 1992. Uh, same director as the 1989 Pet Cemetery, but the quality is uh, a little bit diminished, I would say. And I know when this film came out, Stephen King didn't have too many nice things to say about it. He was not a fan. But mm. uh, it does have a following, this nostalgia wave of horror fans who like horror from that time period so there's been a demand for it and now uh scream factory has heated the call and they're putting it out on blu-ray on february 25th pet cemetery 2 mm. and uh we have the unrated producer's cut of hot dog the movie uh we're talking about the and this is another one of those teen sex comedies uh. This is a Kino release. Um, no, I'm sorry. This is a Synapse Films. Synapse. Oh. Uh, but yeah, um, I remember this came out when I was in junior high school. It was one of those that uh, a lot of my uh, my fellow classmates snuck in to see. Uh, but anyway, I guess it has its has its followers. Uh, we have the One Missed Call trilogy. From 2003 to 2006, this is a trio of horror films that uh, uh, I know the titles, but I can't say I've seen any of them, and I'm not really all that familiar with them. Uh, but nevertheless, Arrow Video is releasing them and putting them out in a collection that has all three of them in one place, where you can um, where you can finally get them if you're if you so desire. With new extras and new transfers. And then Criterion is issuing uh, Paris is Burning from 1990. Mm -hmm. uh, that's one of theirs. February 25th. New transfer on that. New extras. And then we have a couple of uh, Vinegar Syndrome titles here. Zombie Island, Zombie Island Massacre and Flesh-Eating Mothers. Zombie Island Massacre from 1984 and Flesh Eating Mothers from 1988. Uh, we have those. And we have Max and the Junkman from 1971 with uh, Romy Schneider as the keynote re release. And then we have Manon from 1949. That's an Arrow release. Uh, 
uh, that's going to be coming out. And then we have um, A Little Romance, the uh, one of my favorite films uh, from director George Roy Hill. And I think we mentioned this one not too long ago, maybe. Um, Warner Archive is going to be seeing fit to put that one out. And I could not be happier. Uh, I don't know that there's going to be any new extras on it, but it's a brand new transfer. And uh, it's just a, a terrific movie to release in the month of February with... Uh, Valentine's coming upon us. So I am just really tickled that Warner Archive is going to be issuing a little romance. Uh, Manon, as I mentioned earlier, sorry about that. Didn't mean to repeat that one from 1949. Um, and then is uh, putting out two collections of uh, Forbidden Fruit, the golden age of uh, exploitation pictures. Uh, oh. which includes Reefer Madness and Sex Madness and Unashamed, uh, Romance, Alicia. These are all uh, all of these films that were banned during the early code, the days of the uh, early days of the um, the Hayes Code, I guess you would say. Um, anyway, uh, it started with a kiss from 1959 is another Warner Archive release starring Glenn Ford and Debbie Reynolds. So we have that. And... And just a few more here. We have the 1970 film Perfect Friday is being issued by Kino. It's Kino release. Um, Better Off Dead is being reissued as a steelbook. Uh, that's been issued quite a few times, but uh, one more it's going to be. Uh, and Vinegar Syndrome is issuing a 1973 horror film, The Candy Snatchers. Is, um, and that's one I can't say that I'm really familiar with. So, um, anyway, I think that pretty well covers most of the, the Blu-rays for the month of February. There are definitely some interesting titles there, I think. Mm. And some stuff that, uh, you know, I guess I would say the, the cream of the crop would be the Spike Lee films that are, that are being issued. Yeah, probably. Huh? Yeah. Pretty weak. Pretty weak month. Yeah. Pretty, pretty, pretty. <laughs> yeah. It can't always be uh be super strong, but there are a few things in there that I'm uh that I'm excited or seeing the light of day, I will say that. So Well, as long as that producer's cut of hot dog the movies out there, I feel I, I can feel okay about the month. <laughs> well that it cut. is. It is. Well, out did there. he have? Did he have like the stuff in on VHS tape or or or, or three quarter tape on in his garage or something? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I had that happen recently. Uh, I picked up a copy of um, the creature wasn't nice, which was a, a film that had Cindy Williams. It was a horror movie parody with Cindy Williams and Leslie Nielsen from 1981. And it was one of these movies that was infamously troubled. Uh, the, the, it was supposedly taken away from its director, Bruce Kimmel and, and chopped up by the distributor. And so they finally, he had saved his original cut to three, a quarter inch, um, videotape, as you were saying. And anyway, he did a uh, restoration and put it out and, uh, it still wasn't funny. I, I was duped into, uh, I paid money for that one. I actually bought that one and. Like it's still not funny. I don't uh, all this all these years, thirty seven years, and it still doesn't quite work. <laughs> so sometimes those uh, 
those original cuts are, uh, they probably should just stay where they're at sometimes. That's the point mm. I'm trying to make. But anyway, but sometimes you know, dead is better. <laughs> ah, yes, yes. But you don't know. I mean, you know, you hear about these things for decades and decades. And I remember that was one of those films that Fangoria used to talk about its troubled production. It was always in the pages of Fangoria magazine, which I subscribed to when I was a teenager. And they'd talk about the creature wasn't nice and it wins it coming out and, you know, all this stuff. And, and then I, and then, like I said, it was chopped to pieces and I thought, well, I do want to see that version that I've heard about for all these years. But like I said, sometimes you're better off not having seen it. So how could a movie like the creature was not nice. Be troubled. I know. (laughs) I know you would wonder. And Uh, if somebody like Coppola saw a headline like that, would be, he'd be like, Oh, please. (laughs) <laughs> you, want to know, you, know, you want to know about trouble? You want to know what trouble troubles are? Nobody yeah. put up their house for the creature was not nice. <laughs> no, nobody had to negotiate with the uh, the the army and wherever they shot in Laos or whatever. Yeah, to keep the helicopters there and not go fly out <laughs> and fight their war. Good point. No. Was there a torrential flood that destroyed all the the creature was not nice sets? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Did um, did the lead actor have a heart attack? Yeah, you could go on and on and on. Well, however, there- uh, uh, the creature was not nice. They did fire Harvey Keitel from that movie, so there is something. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>